Hi, and welcome to another edition of Figure of Speech, a new program from WRBH where every week you can meet local poets and fiction writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. This episode, we welcome on two poets, starting with Lauren Burgess. Hello, I'm Lauren Burgess, a member of the class, a group of poets who are devoted to and honor poetry. I'm a recent graduate of UNO with a bachelor's in English and a concentration in creative writing, though I began as a physics major. That experience, as well as my minor in anthropology, influenced my work, though maybe not so much in the poems you'll hear today. I'm in the process of gathering my materials for graduate school applications, but I'm not really sure wherever I may go. As for now, I'm excited to be working in the city I love writing, reading, and hopefully publishing soon. Thanks to Sean Jackson, who coordinated this reading, and thanks for WRBH for recognizing local writers and all the rest they do for our community. My first poem is Asteroid. America, I've given you all, and now I'm nothing. Ginsburg. I talk to God, but the sky is empty. Plath. Asteroid, why don't you come down from there? I confess I have no inner resources other than the dictionary in my purse, but you like that. It is so human. Asteroid, you know that the nature of my life, a word, goes soberly toward night like a skunk. Your gravity is greater than a conversation about lol. The seas feel your weight. I need your grazing occultation, how you reach the sudden limit of my scope and disappear. Asteroid, are you here? Do you like the look of Boston? Asteroid, you are a pompous potato, throwing yourself across the sky with glee and circuits while I'm looking for something to crawl inside of and die. Asteroid, does this feel like love? Can you see my pores the way I see your craters through a barlow? I haven't washed in days, Vesta. Maybe you need glasses. Clean me up with your medals and show me God. Asteroid, show me God in my father's face. Show me God the way little boys are shown breasts. Shit on the garden. Shit on polygenesis theories, on the islands of trash in the Pacific, on the internalized ideology that carved me woman. We hate them. We made them. Asteroid, you are woman. You are woman in poodle skirt learning double Dutch. You are woman creating Dutch oven. You are woman with your head in an oven with our heads in the oven. We are woman. Oh, love child. Oh, big girl on the town. These and I unapologetically. Asteroid, help us change a tire. Asteroid, send a meteorite to relieve Trump's scalp. Asteroid, come walk the park with me. Asteroid, Marx was right. I'm not sorry. Asteroid, do you have any spare change? The firefighters wanted me to ask. Water is scarce. Family planning is all the rage. And as for smiling, there is no money in it. Gas prices set the Middle East on fire, and as I said, water is scarce. Masks are mandatory for Chinese children on the playground. Masks are mandatory for conversations with family over green beans and ham. I haven't talked to my mother since she died. Inevitability is the beauty of this. Anticipation is the root and the spring of this, that feeling of upcoming roadkill. Then it's gone. Mom in the supermarket. And if you're still searching, Asteroid, there is a God. 
and he stands next to a porta potty with double cupped palms. This next one is called Humanosphere of Relevance. The used bookstore bears the sign. The cat comes in, the cat goes out. It happens that way. Glasses with their sparkling condensation rest assured under the brute sun. We too. The nation seems to come down around you like curtains after the dance, yet billows up the chimney of your neighbor who loves your dress. You, too, will buy the four-for-one bell peppers, and they are in season as ants carry 5,000 times their body weight. Fumble with that. There is a tree on the back porch that keeps on, no matter how many times I let it freeze. I don't know what happens when people die at all, it turns out. It's a holy-like experience to comfortably sit in this threshold of smeared edges, acutely aware of the humanosphere of relevance we consider time. This next one is called A Magician Walks Into the Laboratory, and it's a found poem uh, from a CIA document of the same name. All I've done is rearrange and break it into lines. Dear Editors, a 1A Kvortov from Tbilisi has discovered in himself some understandable force which emanates from him, and he would like to share it. A self-educated magician, he has been investigated by two specialists after reports that he heals patients by the laying of the hands. Someone, some subject, complains of pain in the loins. Our magician concentrates, goes into a trance, stretches out his hands, and approaches the patient. The nervous activity of the subject, who has the hands laid on him, makes its imprint against the fiery panorama of live sparks. A hundredfold repeated rumor states that somehow experimentalists have been able to photograph a mysterious luminescence, maybe even a sign of holiness, a halo, that a person is supposed to emit. Electrical photographs of sick human organs, for example, during spasms of the blood vessels, look different than photographs of healthy organs. Infected loins after the laying upon resemble the holiness. The author of these lines drank a glass of wine to the flowering of science. This next one is called Sud Tyrol. It means South Tyrol, which is a province in northern Italy where I studied Ezra Pound's poetry for a month. And it goes like this. Sud Tyrol, where I sat with chickens in the vineyard, ate grapes off thick vines, hiked barefoot, and learned a good deal about the functionality of Poundian economics and the history of alpine farming equipment at the bottom of a massive geological bowl, where green was born, where mountains make emerald claws and forests stretch, speckled with castles and brightness, striking the dichotomy of Tyrolean green and blue, the openness above visibly bounded by rocks, the tormented joy of the ingested, who see birds leave over peaks from the base of the greatest stomach, who wonder if birds taste the slightest humidity on their black tongues. I wrote some, too, in my broom-closet dorm. 
The desk touched the bed, and the bed touched the closet. I touched the ceiling as the window shrank before the seeming peristalsis of the lush and thought about the chickens. I have three more. This one is called Three Rooks. It's part of a series of poems I'm writing about suicidal ideation, birds, and cats. Three Rooks. You are holding the chef's knife. You are alone in the kitchen, save the cat on the dryer. He cleans his paw. There is much blood on the ground around you because you place the knife in your thigh and drag it down with intended force. You have participated in this activity multiple times when thinking about blackbirds. You say to your roommate that there are three blackbirds, common rooks that perch on the sill. They pick at crumbs there. They drink water from the sink, and you know this because you try to drown them, you tell her, but there is never enough water. It is a real problem, you say. She goes to her room. There are no blackbirds. There is only you, save the cat on the dryer. When you think about blackbirds, you think about death. You think of who would be responsible for cleaning you up and delivering you to your mother. You think of the different hats at your funeral. You think of blackbirds spiraling in tandem above your mother on Sundays. When you think about blackbirds, you try to die. You are bleeding profusely in the kitchen with the chef's knife in your hand. You are alive for this. There are no blackbirds. These final two have never been workshopped, and they're brand new within the last two weeks, so go easy. This one's called On the Walk. It crawls on my mind like ants on a fallen peppermint. Keeps me in bed, keeps after it's spoiled, that plastic container with a red top mildewing in the back left corner of my cool mind, seen and ignored until it smells up the whole thing. Until someone mentions it, Hey, get up and clean out the fridge. You're not the only one with leftovers, you know. I admit the sun is good, so I go for a walk and the cat comes too. When we hit the end of the block, he stops and readies himself. A finch there, perched on a leaky hydrant. Lunging and catching, it's the first time I've seen him kill anything. And so fast. The unspectacular brown thing, its blood bright against the littered sidewalk, garnet on the cat's gray mouth. Images flash like traffic, speeding buses, chef's knives, nine millimeter in an open blue box. These irresponsible, public, private, direct. I need a big cat. Lastly, this is taillights. I don't even know how to use a typewriter well. I bought it because its punches are faster and easier to read than my script. It comes in handy when I'm drunk, 
like now at 7 a.m. stepping out into the beautiful, horrible day to sit on the porch and feel 75 degrees alive and yellow, a treat after all the racket I know my roommate wishes would stop before two, my cat doesn't understand, and I'm sick of feeling bounce back onto my fingers, knowing I gain nothing but the satisfaction of a ding at the end of a line, after which I am left wondering where the thought that was supposed to follow flew to where all the good thoughts go when they leave their messes behind, thoughts like taillights going over an interstate hill, blinking the world dark. That was poet Lauren Burgess, a member of New Orleans' own The Class. Up next, we've got poet Jeff Munsterman, who will be speaking with Bill Lavender and reading some of his work for this month's edition of The Writer's Retreat. This is Bill Lavender, publisher of Lavender, Inc. and Dialogos Books here in New Orleans, and this is The Writer's Retreat. I'm here today with Jeff Munsterman, whose book, Because the Stars Shine Through It, was recently released from Lavender, Inc. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing all right, Bill. Great. Thanks for coming in. Uh, no problem. So let's uh, start off by telling us a little bit about the book. The title's really interesting, Because the Stars Shine Through It. Where'd that come from? Uh, it was it was borrowed lovingly um, from an 1880 piece by Lafcadio Hearn, who wrote lots yeah. of stuff about the city of New Orleans. Very, very famous down here. Yeah. And and that piece in particular, uh, the Pelican's Ghost, it struck a chord with me. And that line, that line among many wonderful lines, jumped out. And I knew it was going to be a book before I knew what the book was. So. And what is why, what is he referring to when he says this, because the stars shine through it? He's he's talking about a pelican that used to hang out at Jackson Square that suddenly vanished, and people ascribed it as great power to it and considered it a symbol. Um, then when it vanished, it, someone suggested that it had come back as a ghost, um, and that they knew it was a ghost because the stars shine through it. Ah, okay. and. Um, yeah, the, the the symbols, the symbols that go away without any fanfare, um, and the pelican was that the old way, the old way of life in New Orleans. Um, yeah, went 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 away, and uh, no one really noticed it, but they did notice the pelican. Yeah. So. Well, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, great. You gonna read us some poems from it? I am. I'm gonna read. Uh, I'm gonna read four poems from the book, and a new piece. Um, that's, I think, pretty fun. Uh, this first poem, kind of an invocation. Uh, it's called The Juvenile. Starts always the same. He'll say, so what, fat ass? You gonna sit on me? So I say yes. And throw a punch where, after pushing him to the ground, I'll drop my fat ass on his chest and pin him to concrete or dirt punch until I can't punch anymore pick loose from knuckles pieces of teeth. I'm fighting because my father tells me I have to grow up, defend myself, be a man like him. Deny the heart says there's more than blood to faces. Negate the brain that says last week this person was a friend. All my brother's friends take turns teaching how to take a punch, to hit, and get hit hard, because it's funny when I cry, 
because I need to learn. There's nothing in a face but blood. Bent fists extract when madness grips the core of you. That core that needs protecting no matter what. I scar the kid. So what? He called me fat ass. Let him wear his mistake through puberty into old age. Make him know blood his face holds isn't his. It belongs to me now. Well, reminds me of my childhood a little bit, um, but I was always someone on the on the bottom being beaten. <laughs> well, nobody, nobody ever had such kind thoughts. It was beating me. I don't think. You know. Well, it's it's you, you start you start on the bottom and you're encouraged to find your way to the top. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's not really much better on top. Right. Sometimes uh, that's what the piece for me. Yeah. Okay. What else you got? Heart gozzle. A white-tailed deer stared, eyes waiting the heart. The night a truck swerved, fear striating the heart. First brush with death. The freight truck crash. God showed me his way of negating the heart. Just nine years old when the doctors diagnosed my father's rheumatic fever. A sore throat fating the heart. Some folks wash their hands clean where they drink. They shake water white. Ripples reverberating the heart. I jogged down the dusty path body desperate to fly, but fell gasping. My chest pounded, gating the heart. They pounded on his chest in the waiting room where he collapsed, gloved fists berating the heart. When they called my mother, she knew he was gone, but the doctor dangled slightest chance, baiting the heart. I have come home on a train coursing tracks of old wood and iron, each horn blare translating the heart. Just two lines, Jeffrey. Just two lines. Get them out. They're doing nothing but write it. Medicating the heart. I, uh... Yeah, I, I had trouble writing anything and then remembered a story from another New Orleans poet, Andy Young, that sometimes the gazel, which is a very old form, it's from Persia, but that sometimes a gazel could only be two lines long. Yeah. That sometimes it was written generationally, and each generation would sometimes carry on in writing two more lines, two more lines, but that some were only written, there were only two lines. That line, that, that idea of just two lines popped into my head, and then the poem kind of happened around it. Oh, cool. So, this is called, Let's Get On With It. I have seen the desolate tissue of your thigh, inked to tarot's, telling lustrous tomorrows, now won't come. Your pleasures pitched into fever, numbed you to the thick visions dawn often conjures. If surviving was easy, everyone would do it. Your hollow conscience, like a dark cathedral, screams for candlelight. Instead, you take your life like others take a bath. All night, I shed 
fierce tears, attempt to shake the thought. It's all my fault. You'd broadcasted sadness, clear as blackberries speaking sugar to a hungry tongue. But I'd missed it. Then I remember your casual smile revealing nothing but its brilliance. A bluff more practiced than cursive. With left cheek cocked, you lean on heaven's gate as angels gabled under clouds renounce your seductions. Termite wings blossom from cornices and drip drop the carpet, filling each dingy fiber with a gulf of loss, an ocean of translucent tears. I love that last image, utilizing the termite wings, which uh, not everybody uh, has seen, but down here we see them all the see time. See them all the time. Yeah. Uh, when, when, when the termites start bashing themselves against the light, yeah. and there's, there's thousands of them, it seems like, and the next morning all you see is is their wings, these these tear-shaped, mm-hmm. translucent wings. I had I had been writing a poem about this friend, and uh, again, it was it was a situation where I couldn't write it until I, I found the language to serve the sub. The subject was too big. Yeah. Um, and when I found the language that could serve the subject, um, the subject didn't feel as big anymore. Um, that's that's usually how it has to happen for me. Right. I have to, yeah. I have to find the words. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's, it's, there, there are too many things that are too big to talk about. Um, but the words help. Yeah. <laughs> you find the yeah. words first. Yeah. This one's called, And Suddenly. And suddenly, your toes are tracing ampersands in dirt. Summer brings a melody that dashes thoughts of lasting past the heat, like Maris guessing if he'll last to 61. There is no asterisk. You pack mascaras and board a bus for somewhere colder. Better to your luck. Before the tide this night erases all your punctuations, an alligator drags his icy belly through the sand, deleting almost every curvature your lazy toes designed. It would sicken you to find your crushed butts still dozing in the ashtray, lipstick stains ringing filters. Everything human leaves a mark. Everything human dies. Near the river, there's a house I thought we'd share. Its shingles are the broken teeth of a harsh winter. Damp drywall slashed by kids who went with spray cans to profess those childish loves we find in later life too passionate to keep alive. I would have taken you to the dark, river-bitten nail of land and let sunlight disinfect what others put inside you, the hard questions and vain exclamations. I wasn't ready to lose those toenails digging commas in my calves, or your elbow bent across my sternum like a closed parenthesis. On the shoreline, an egret unaware that just beneath polluted waters stalks an angry gator, dips herself along the slate of land. Quick, his dark jaw snaps at the egret's neck, except she's feathered up and flown. We were like that to each other for a period. I like that uh, the imagery of the writing and uh, script in there, along with, of course, the South Louisiana 
landscapes. It's um, it's it's a it's a place where decay happens. Yeah. And if you're not if if you're not built for it or if you're not comfortable in it, it's it's a tough place to live. Um, but you know, sometimes people come and visit and they leave again, and and they're important, um, even if they're not around. I so I attempted a love poem for someone that. I uh, I miss, but also understood. You have to go away. So yeah. you left a mark, right. but our relationship is over. It's um, yeah, it's it's the nature of things sometimes. Right. Yeah. And you got one more for us that's brand new, right? Brand new. Um, and written specifically, there's a there's a reading series here in town that um, has a original erotica. So if you've heard these poems and wondered what this is going to sound like, uh, I wondered myself too. It was a fun challenge to undertake. Um, this was for a night about fetishes, and it's a poem called Calloused. Calloused. She's beat up from the feet up. All night, hungry drunks have run her ragged as an Alice in Chains concert tee. But once the shift ends, all she wants is to kick back and kick them sneakers off. My pulse hurries, humming. Some covet high-heeled elegance, nails painted up in cream, chrome, matte, shimmer, glitter, or pearl. They want souls soft as sofas, wild toes dancing and undulating all the way up from midfoot to ankle. Others just want bare and physical, Step on this, grip that, wiggle and stomp, wrap your arches around this, slide curling phalanges into my mouth and shove until I've sucked them clean. We each enjoy sniff and inhale, chin against chip whiffing, coating the respiratory with stepping's essence. I prefer the pornography of payless, a working foot sliding into and out of flex fit orthopedics. I'm attentive for feet that get shit done, feet that pivot and pound, that have been around the block a time or two. I love the feet most in need of massage. Single mom, public transit nurse, a foot planted firm as I am when her laces come undone after an ass handing doled out by the day's labors. A foot that wants love, but isn't used to it. I love feet brined by the sweat of a 40-hour work week. Slipped against my lap, into my hands. I start at the arches, thumbs rolling upward into each pummeled mound. Her toes roll, stretch, pop as they loosen. I love the loosening. The foot undressing its stresses and pressures as I need the night shift from her soul. Rip free the sting of a tibial artery overworked and underpaid. That's when my nose falls heavy against the digital slips, takes in the honest aroma. And feet don't stink. Sometimes life stinks. Feet relay that honestly. Feet don't lie even if they sometimes hide. Calluses carry narratives, and I want to hear them all. Massaging feet 
means 26 bones, 33 joints, over 100 muscles, and 7,000 nerve endings melting to your touch. Rub feet. Smell them. Wash feet. Devotional or sacrilegious. Bathe your person's roots. Gravity's nadir. Relish expressive toes thanking their admirer for attentive giving. Know that feet can take punishment. Get between the toes. Work your way up. Uh, that's great. I hope, uh, hope you're going to continue this, uh, this tradition at Esoterotica. It's, I've, been, I've been at it since uh, a little after Mardi Gras. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. Sounds great. We've been listening to Jeff Munsterman reading from Because the Stars Shine Through It and some new work. You can find Jeff's book and archives of this and other recordings at lavenderinc.org. I'm Bill Lavender, and this has been the Writer's Retreat, a monthly segment on figures of speech, WRBH, New Orleans. That was poet Jeff Munsterman speaking with Bill Lavender for this month's edition of the Writer's Retreat, which is a monthly installment of WRBH's figure of speech. Before that, you listened to Lauren Burgess, who was a poet affiliated with the class. You've been listening to Figure of Speech, a new community poetry and writing program from WRBH. Tune in on Saturdays at 3 p.m. and every Monday at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thanks for listening.